0: This is a Saddleback Church Podcast.
1: There are many misconceptions that we find ourselves walking through life, not even realizing that we have. But one of the hardest, and perhaps most devastating, are misconceptions that Christians can have around grief and suffering. Many times Christians feel like if we just do everything right, we go to church, read the Bible, pray, try not to sin, then we shouldn't have to endure suffering. God should be happy with us, so he should shield us from suffering. Or maybe we've been through suffering, and therefore we think we've already endured one thing, so we should be good to go for the rest of our lives. What we want is a sense of control. But we generally learn quickly that That is not the way things really work. My guest today is Lauren McAfee. Lauren is the founder of Stand for Life and serves as the ministry director at Hobby Lobby. She and her husband Michael are authors of a new book out now called Beyond Our Control, Let Go of Unmet Expectations, Overcome Anxiety, and Discover Intimacy with God. In this conversation, Lauren shares the journey that she and Michael have walked through leading to this book, how she has learned to embrace God as a comforter, how couples can learn to grieve together, and what it looks like to have our misconceptions met head on. My name is Jason Whelan, and this is Doable Discipleship saddleback church podcast part of the saddleback family of podcasts now my conversation with lauren mcafee lauren mcafee thank you so much for joining me today really really appreciate your time
0: Thanks for having me.
1: It's yeah. just so great to be here, Jason. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm glad that we started our, our our highs on an on an upbeat high note because unfortunately well, the first thing <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do <laughs> is to is to uh, ask you to recount what this book is about. So so we're talking about your new book, which is looking at kind of grief and anxiety. And so mm-hmm. uh, if you if you wouldn't mind. Would you give our listeners just some background um, on your journey and what ultimately led you and your husband, Michael, to writing this book?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Michael and I, my husband, we wrote the book Beyond Our Control because of circumstances in our own lives where we realized things in our life that were unfolding were completely beyond our control and we were trying desperately to grasp for control of those things. And if you've ever been trying to control something and realize you have like zero control, it's usually a painful process and experience. And so for my husband and I, that journey for us was really wrapped up around becoming parents and parenting. And the themes of the book are around control and centered around control. But that can relate to people, I think, in whatever circumstances it is that they're facing, they're beyond their control or, or things in life where they maybe had an expectation about something and it has not, you know, their expectations about life hasn't come to fr- fruition. So for Michael and I, we, we met when we were seven years old. <laughs> so we kind of have always known each other. Like yeah. since I can remember, I remember Michael being in my life. And we became friends, like best, best friends in middle school and high school, and then started dating um, the summer after our senior year of high school. Mm. And then we got married in college. So we we got married young. And so we we thought, you know, eventually we'll want a family. We tried to, you know, get started in our careers, get a little bit settled, finish school, of course. And whenever we were ready to start our family, we wanted to start through adoption. Mm. My Grandparents are adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. My parents are adoptive parents. My they my parents adopted my sister mm-hmm. from China. And so I have seen adoption in my family and wanted to include that as a part of our so- story. So whenever we were in our mid-20s, I was looking at international adoption programs and saw that many international programs have age requirements. Mm -hmm. So you have to be this age or older in order to apply to adopt. The youngest programs that I could find international programs were 25 or older. Mm -hmm. So there was kind of this like 25 is the youngest you can be to pursue international adoption. And only one parent had to be 25. So if one, if one was 25, but the other was younger, like that was okay. So my husband is older than me, just like by a few months. And on my husband's 25th birthday, uh, we, I took him out to dinner. We were having a nice dinner and I took that opportunity to say, Hey, let's talk about starting the adoption process. <laughs> uh, Cause apparently as of today we can now. So he, he was a little surprised. He didn't know that I had been thinking about it. And so we We began that conversation and the next day he printed off the application Mm -hmm. and said, yeah, let's do this." So we started pursuing adoption thinking it would take maybe two to three years. We were excited about growing our family that way. Well, fast forward six years, we were still pursuing adoption and had not been able to have um, grow our family. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of one door after the other closing in the adoption process, which was so hard. We were waiting and waiting and waiting and pursuing this and had just this real longing in our hearts to have to pursue adoption and have a child through adoption. While that wasn't working out, we also then started pursuing children biologically and then realized that wasn't going to be as easy as we thought it was either. Mm -hmm. So here we were experiencing infertility, experiencing years and years and years of trying to adopt and it not working out. And that was a painful season of having a longing for something that we knew was a good thing, but that the Lord was not bringing to our lives. Mm-hmm. So that was season one of like, this is totally out of our control. How do you process this? Then we finally did get matched. And we, at when we were nearly seven years into the adoption process, we traveled to China and brought home our daughter, Zion, mm-hmm. and she was 19. 18 months old when we adopted her and she is amazing and she was home with us from china for a month and a half when she was then suddenly diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. so we were facing now this reality of finally having this longing of our hearts fulfilled and now our cancer our daughter being diagnosed with cancer so that was again there, there was nothing we could, could do to control the fact that she had cancer, nor could we really control healing it. I mean, we're not doctor medical doctors. We were totally reliant on following the doctors and trying to do the best that we could to give her care. And then, in our after our daughter, we went through the cancer experience, and she went into remission. Mm-hmm. We then started pursuing an adoption again, and, and in the second adoption process, we did a domestic adoption. And in that process, we were matched with a child. A birth mom chose us to parent her uh, son. So we brought home a son. born. At, we brought him home from the hospital. He was a part of our family. We were going through all of the legal process to finalize adoption. And a couple of months into that process, we realized there were going to be some complications with the case and they needed to have a trial just to kind of have the judge review everything before making a decision. For most of the time that our son was in our home, we thought he would end up staying with us. Mm-hmm. And the judge was delayed in hearing his case because of COVID, Every mm-hmm. you know, it was during the COVID years. And so everything was slow or shut down for a season. And so our son Ezra was in our home for a year. And we thought for most of that time that he would be with us forever when the judge made a very unusual um, decision in our case to that we had to say goodbye to him and we had two and a half hours mm. to say goodbye before we had to hand our son over and we haven't seen or heard about him since. Mm. So it wasn't a loss to death, but it was so it was a unique and unusual loss which felt a little bit lonely. It wasn't necessarily a foster situation. It was yeah. kind of always intended to be an adoption and so the expectation for most for most of that time again was that yes we're with us forever. But in an instant, I mean, in just moments, we said goodbye forever to the son that we had had for a year that we had raised as our own, who called us mom and dad, mm-hmm. who, you know, Zion and our daughter thought that was her brother. And we haven't seen him since. So it was such a devastating loss that it, and, and such a unique loss too, that it really, again, was like, wow, we, how, how how do we process that we didn't have any control over this circumstance and how do you navigate that believing still that god who is the god that is in control Mm -hmm. if he if he is all powerful and does actually have control yet he's allowing this pain in our lives like how do you navigate that as a believer to to bring together the pain that you're in as well as trusting in the goodness of uh, of a god is sovereign over all things. So that's kind of the why behind this book was it's, it's my husband and I writing to fellow people in the journey, whether it's their own pain points or watching others walk through suffering. And it doesn't have to be big things. It can even be just, you know, life isn't going as you expected. You know, maybe you thought you'd be married by a certain age and you're not, or that you'd have kids or this many kids and you haven't been able to, or The job that you thought you'd have, you haven't been able to attain that. Just these expectations we have in our life that even those becoming unfulfilled can cause grief um, as we kind of reconcile with, man, I don't have the control over my life, maybe in the way I thought I had Mm -hmm. at one point in time. And how do I trust God who does have all control over these circumstances in my life? Mm -hmm. And I hope that it'll be an encouragement that people will feel seen and that they're not alone in this journey and ultimately pointed towards the goodness of a God who has all control and is good and is with us in those pain points. So that's kind of the hope for beyond our control and why (laughs) we wrote the book.
1: Yeah. I, I remember I've followed your journey ever since we first met. 10 years ago, I, I, I've, I, I've followed you and Michael both on social media accounts, and I've, I've just always been impressed at, at everything that you've walked through is, is you both have been able to process through words, and you've taken that time and you, and you use those mediums, whether it was through a post on Twitter or whether it was writing Christianity Today, or whatever it was, uh, uh, writing these blogs where you're able to process through it and talk it through. And it seems that through all of these years, through all these different journeys, what you've come upon is this theme of, we we grow up thinking that we can have control over our lives. (laughs) I remember my (laughs) son, even just yesterday, was saying... Well, when I'm an adult, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want. And I'm like, well, that's exactly how that works. <laughs> so so yeah. we, we have this idea of control because we feel like we have autonomy, which we do in many cases. But there are some things that are just beyond our control, as you say. And so it's just all come together in this book, which is addressing this, this theme that has been so prevalent in how you guys yeah. have been experiencing it, in walking through it, and learning it, and so, and I'm so glad that you do, and that you have been, because Christians have this kind of weird, confusing relationship with suffering, and, and that could come in the form of grief, or, or anxiety, or depression, or any kind of hardship. Because, like, I know people who fall into this trap of believing that, well we shouldn't suffer. Like, that must mean that I have some sin in my life that I need to find out because that's the only reason that I should be be feeling suffering. Um, Or we get to this place of, like we say, that God isn't living up to his part. I'm doing this, this, this. I'm checking off all these boxes in the Christian playbook, and yet God isn't doing his part. And so Mm -hmm. why is that? Or maybe we start to just question our faith entirely. So I'm just curious on... um, for you, as you've laid out this journey, how have you seen the roller coaster of response play out in your own life and how have you seen your outlook change through all that
0: yeah 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 well you you touched on it early on like I think we grow up especially in a western context where you know we have a lot of you know relatively easy and autonomous lives and I that relatively speaking sure. compared to other parts of the world sure. um that even as kids we can think like oh like i can i'm gonna be this this is what it's gonna be like when it's older or i you know you think okay you could just work hard do your best you can accomplish whatever you'll be able to get the degree you can get the job or you know work hard and make it happen and i think michael and i realized we were living under that same perspective, even as young adults and didn't even realize the ways that that was a form of prosperity gospel that Mm -hmm. was in our hearts that we both spoke against prosperity gospel and say like, no, like the Bible teaches, you know, look at the Bible and people in the Bible, (laughs) like they were not immune to having hard times and suffering. Um, Look at Jesus's life alone. And you can see um, if he's our example, like Christ endured suffering And so, you know, we're not just promised like health, wealth, and prosperity, but at the same time, we also did have this hint of that same false doctrine in that we did expect, okay, well, if you're, if you're serving the Lord and you're trying to be a good person, you're pursuing these good things, like God's probably going to make it easy for you and he's going to, you know, take care of you. And so the other thing we also felt was that whenever we went through a season of trial, which was for us, that kind of cancer season with Zion, yeah. we felt like, oh, okay, like we've, you know, quote unquote, done our suffering. <laughs> so like yeah. now it should, like, we should get the, it should get, be, get easier from here on out. Yeah. And again, it was us putting that wrong perception that this false expectation that's not found in scripture. We did our suffering. We did our time from here on out. Like we should, things should be easier. And then we walked through, you know, the even harder season of, of having our son and losing him. So we we realized that kind of deep in our hearts, even though we, we were, could say the right things and we knew, you know, we read the Bible, we were really believing to this false idea that God still owed us something, that he owed us, you know, things that we wanted or good things in this life. And that's just not what we see in scripture. Yeah. So when we look at the Bible we can see examples like especially looking at Jesus life he was is our ultimate example and went through suffering the worst suffering of all because he went to the cross and and suffered and died for for our sake. Mm-hmm. And so yes God loves us and yes he he wants good for us but God also has this bigger perspective where he can see the whole of eternity and how he is using things in our lives for his glory and our good. Um, So in looking at, you know, you can see this clearly in stories like Joseph who went through many trials, you know, sold into slavery, uh, his brothers hated him. He was falsely accused and thrown in prison, you know, all of these things that, you know, in his lifetime, he had the opportunity to get to a point where he was able to look back and see, and, and he says himself, you know, what you used meant for evil, God used for good, whenever his brothers were coming back and he was able to be a part of the solution for saving his family and his people during a famine. Um, but then you have other examples like Job, who the Bible says was an upright and faithful man, yet he still endured great suffering losing everything he had in this earth and even and then suffered uh, his own health issues and for job he never had that aha moment that joseph got later in life where he can look back and see like oh this is why and this is how it played out so in our suffering we're not owed from god that kind of oh this is exactly what the lord was doing but we go to god trusting him that he he knows God has obviously used Job's story that we're now thousands of years later and still reading and talking about his story and inspired um, by what his faithful example was. And Job didn't know that that was going to be the reality of his Mm -hmm. life, but um, he trusted God even in the midst of the hard times. So as we process through uh, those moments in our life where we are just struck By and and weighed down by the fact that we don't have control over things and things are hard and things are painful. We can use those as opportunities to trust in the Lord in His big picture perspective that even though I can't see what's going on, I have a God that is so big that He sees. Mm -hmm. And I am promised in Scripture that He has my good in mind and, and His glory. And so I live in the moment of those hardships, looking to the Lord and saying, how can I honor you and glorify you in the midst of the pain? Yeah. And to, kind of to your question earlier, how do we get that wrong? I think a lot of times Christians can think that means we should just, you know, always have hope in the midst yeah. of hard times and, you know, and always it's be all optimistic yeah. and <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah just read the, read a Bible verse. And like, it's okay. We, we win in the end, (laughs) but while, while like, right, that's true. Like, we know what revelation 21 says. We also know that we were created as image bearers in God's image with emotions and we are emotional beings and feelings are not bad, but it's how we respond to our feelings that can be, you know, either done well or not. So we honor the Lord whenever we rightly recognize the pain and our sadness and, and frustration and anger and all of these negative emotions that we might have in those seasons of not having control or even anxiety and recognize, okay, what are these emotions telling me about what, what I've, what I've, uh, what I believe, what I've experienced Mm. and how do I, give space for my emotions in a, in a way that honors how God created me and process that in a healthy way in community with, with other believers, um, as well as in relationship with God and recognize that feelings can be indicators for us of what's going on in our lives. And they're very real. And, and so that doesn't mean we have to like always be positive, it means we can have hard days. And you look at the Psalms. I mean, yep. <laughs> there's so many Psalms uh, where the writers are just crying out to the Lord and, and expressing how they are feeling about things and then reminding themselves of truth, that God is there, that he is good, all of these things. So, you know, I hope that that readers, if, you know, if they read beyond our control, I, I, I have a couple of chapters where I navigate specifically grief and anxiety mm-hmm. and encourage Encourage believers that you know those are not bad things. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are a reality that we live with, and and to always continue to going to truth and to create space for, for processing grief through lament and and understanding where our anxiety is coming from.
1: Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I, I'm so grateful for books like Psalms, like. Ecclesiastes for Lamentations that just say that it's okay to experience just confusion and, and all of the emotional gamut. And, and then you, it starts to ask you that question of what does, what are your feelings driving you to, right? I think Mm -hmm. you would pose the good question to ask is what are your feelings an indicator of, which is great. I would also add, where are your feelings driving you to? Are they driving you to other people? You mentioned being in community. Are they driving you back yeah. to God? Are, you, are they drive or are they driving you into a, a darker place or something else? And so, if you're able to ask yourself, what are my feelings a warning light of? What is going on in my life? And also, where are my feelings driving me to? It, those are just good questions to, to be able to get yourself in the process of asking yourself. Anytime you feel yourself starting down the slippery slope, just say, "Okay, warning light." And where am I going?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean it's that's so good because there are there are productive and healthy ways to deal with our emotions, and there are really bad and destructive ways. And yeah. so one of so it, a practical thing that I point to in the chapter and yeah. on uh, grief, I think it is is that as we're processing our grief mm-hmm. or anxiety, there are three practical things that are helpful ways to deal with that. One is to realize that time will help. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's time talking. We need to talk with God and with other believers, community, and tears. Knowing that like as we allow ourselves to feel those feelings and allow the tears to come, that is a therapeutic process that helps us to process and metabolize our grief. And so as we allow for tears, we talk with our community and we allow time to pass. That is a way that we can move towards healing and, and navigating our, our emotions in, uh, in those hard seasons in a way that's hopefully productive and helpful as we continue to look towards truth and look at God as, um, as our source of truth, knowing that our feelings aren't the source of truth, um, but to navigate those in light of who God is.
1: A great job identifying those three T words. That's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just realized I didn't say use truth, but I should have.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: So next time.
1: (laughs) Special future edition. (laughs) You get truth in there. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How has your understanding and appreciation for God as comforter changed over time?
0: Yeah. It's, man, it's definitely my my belief about God as Comforter hasn't changed necessarily, but it has certainly become more meaningful mm. as I've walked through uh, uh, pain points in my life. So early in my life, I would have said, you know, that Cognitively, I knew God was a comforter and that He was all of these nice things, like loving. He would He would bring peace. Um, But it's one thing to know something in your head, Mm -hmm. and it's a very different thing to actually walk through an experience that moves it from your head into your heart. And walking through the pain of losing my son. And having to process that, I I can look back now and see that the way I view and relate to God as my loving Heavenly Father that is a comforter is so much deeper in my soul. I don't know how to describe that in another way. It's just deeper in me, in my soul, than it was when I hadn't had to rely on God as a comforter. Um, you know, I think that there's saying, I believe and rely on God as my comforter, and then there's actually living it out. And so, in those days after I lost um, our son Ezra, I just, I, there, was, there were no words really that, that I could express. It was just so dark and hard and heavy that I felt like, even in my prayers, all I could do was just ask God to help me and to be near. And I knew that he was, and so for him to be my comforter was very meaningful in those hardest of days. That today I, I'm, I'm very grateful for the ways that the hardships have brought me closer to the Lord in a way mm. that I couldn't have gotten without that. Yeah. And I don't mean that to sound cliche, like oh, like there's purpose in the pain, and yeah. <laughs> it brings you closer to God. Because I think you know we can choose one of two paths when we go through the hardships like we can choose the bitter i'm i don't believe god is the good path or we can choose to lean into god and and our hope with this book is that we really show the pathway towards reconciling our pain in a way that draws us closer and more into a closer relationship with the lord instead of going that path of okay i i can't i don't believe this anymore so that is certainly a blessing that the deeper intimacy with the Lord that can come through those pain points can be a great blessing.
1: Is there a, I shouldn't say different, is there another attribute of God or name of God that you've clung to more so recently?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think whenever, whenever I walk through, have walked through, these moments in my life, I certainly knew that God was true. And I think like God's word being true was, was always, was actually something that I kind of, I think championed in my life. My yeah. first book that I wrote with mm-hmm. my husband, we co-authored a book called not what you think. And we really looked at like biblical literacy and encouraging our generation, millennials and, and Gen Zers, to mm-hmm. consider the Bible and the truth claims that it has and all this. And so like truth was something that I would say was like very prevalent in my life. Uh-huh. But similar to how I saw God as Comforter, I think walking through a moment where I questioned the truth mm. and that I had those moments where I remember one Sunday, I was sitting in church and was right after one of our losses painful losses mm. and the pastor like flippantly said something like god is good yeah. um, as he was like walking off the stage from the offertory moment and i remember like most other sundays like you don't even like think about it sure. it's just like oh yeah, yeah all the time he, but he said god is good and the first thing that came to my mind was is he mm. like is he good which i remember it caught me off guard but I was, I was, I was hurting so bad that I was questioning the truth. And so I think God as being and his word as being true means more to me now because I've wrestled with it in a deeper way mm-hmm. and I can go to scripture and see um, the ways that God reveals himself as compassionate mm-hmm. and as loving and as present in ways that you know i i knew before but i read the scripture and the truth of scripture now through the lens of the pain that i've been through and and again just the fact that it is true brings deeper now than even before even like i said even when it was like the bible was true was kind of my thing um (laughs) it means it's even more so today
1: yeah i think that's a Interesting reminder to people is you read through Scripture through the lens of what you've experienced in your life, and you can't help that. That is just the nature of it, but that's also the nature of the realness of the Word, that it is a living Word, and that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And so as you are reading through it, you are doing so with the Spirit who has walked through these journeys with you and who knows the, the love and care of the father in ways that we can't even begin to grasp the Holy spirit that was living in you knows. And so it's, it's illuminating the word for you in a whole new way. Every time that you read it, you're, you have the background of the life you've been through since the last time you read it. So it is always new. It is always fresh because you've are walking through a daily life that is not always easy. <laughs> and so you are carrying yeah. with
2: yeah.
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. A new burden, almost every single time, and and as you're reading through it, that's an opportunity for God to say, "I'm carrying that burden with you too. I'm here with you in that too, or I am so I I, I get to celebrate in that with you. I know you are, are reading this after a, a a season where you are experiencing a joy in new ways, and I'm meeting you in that through Scripture in a new way too. So um, that's just a great yeah. reminder for us is is that. It, it, scripture is new every time you read it because you're carrying your freshest self into your reading with you.
0: Yeah, no that's so good and I think is the beauty of our God and that he is so big right yeah. that we can never uh, every end of learning others for his holy Spirit. To reveal things to us through His Word, and I'm so grateful that we have a God that is that big mm-hmm. and who is beyond my control. Because if <laughs> if we had a God that we could control or that we could fully understand, He wouldn't really be a God, would He? It'd be like something <laughs> that's of this earth. And so, I'm so grateful to have um, a really um, big yeah. heavenly Father that mm-hmm. constantly is revealing Himself in new and fresh ways to us, as long as we seek after Him.
1: So I I, I wanted to acknowledge that you. Have been talking through this journey, and you've done a great job of, of reminding us that it's not just you who's been walking through this journey, but you've been walking through it with your husband, Michael, who, as you mentioned, co authored this book with you. So, how have you seen grief affect your relationship with each other? And how have you seen that relationship even grow through these seasons?
0: Yeah, it, you know, just real practically, everyone grieves differently. And so, um, as a married couple, who we were both navigating, you know, our daughter's cancer diagnosis, and then losing our son Ezra, we we had to learn about each other how we grieve. You know, how I had I became a student of how does Michael grieve, and how can I serve him in that? And he did the same for me. And you know, the the biblical um, model for marriage is not um, this kind of consumeristic worldly picture of marriage that marriage is to make me happy, yeah. but marriage is to make us more holy and more like Christ. And so as we walked through our grief, I, I kept seeking, okay, how can I care for Michael in a way that allows him to navigate his grief and become, and come out to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he was, this did the same for me. And The Lord in his kindness, it felt like uh, Michael and I would at different times go through our harder moments. So Mm -hmm. like when I was feeling especially um, sad or down about um, our loss of Ezra, Michael would be feeling a little bit more um, strength. And so I was able to lean on him and rely on him and then vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a small... small gift and a grace of the Lord that we were kind of able to navigate these waves of grief and, and, um, be there for one another. And I know not everyone has that. And that, that is a, is a sweet gift. But I think, I think that the reminder for hopefully, you know, any married couple is that the point of marriage is to, uh, to help each other be more like Christ. And so as we do that sacrificially, Mm -hmm as we do that, looking to how Christ served his bride, the church, sacrificially loving her, um, we are then to model that in our marriages. And so, yes, I, I have to navigate and process my grief in a healthy way. And I want to then um, be used to help serve my husband in a way that he's able to, to navigate and process his grief. And so um, I think, you know, looking to Christ and his example of serving the church is a, is, is a model for all married couples to care, one, car, care well for one another through the good times and through the hard times that we might have grace for one another in the hard moments and in the hard seasons and to point one another towards Christ
1: yeah I think one of the most important lessons for any couple to learn about each other is that idea that you grieve differently and, mm-hmm. uh, and usually it's not something you talk about in premarital counseling. Hey, how do you grieve? And then you're <laughs> able to talk it through to get prep right? You usually just first experience it when you hit a moment, a, a, a season of grief. And so yeah. you're thrown immediately into this fire, not having usually done pre-work to say, okay, here's what I can expect. And especially because grief can look differently depending on the situation that leads to the grief too. So, yeah, having that uh, having that ability, and even if you're talking ahead of time, just say we understand that grief happens differently. I don't know how you're going to grieve. Whenever something happens, you don't know how I'm going to grieve. But mm-hmm. let's make a, a pact now with each other that we are going to give allowances to each other and grace with each other and yeah. be here with each other.
0: And yeah, lots of grace.
1: Yeah, it, that's it, that is so key because there can be days that can just be completely lost in grief. And that is okay. There are days of just, mm-hmm. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not shower. I'm just need to just do this. And <laughs> yeah. then another yeah. person can say, you know, I'm going to go and run 10 miles as they wait away at my grief. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, and there can be this, what? And what are you doing? You need to wallow. No, what are you doing? You need to get out. It's So um, exactly. giving those allowances and again, just knowing that, that you won't know for like for sure in actuality what's gonna happen until it happens. So just making sure that you guys that you give that yourself that that space, that grace, that extra love, just throwing up extra wallops of love <laughs> on that relationship <laughs> will go go a, exactly. a long way in it. For um if you wouldn't mind, Lauren, for anybody listening right now who is walking through their own season of grief, what is some encouragement that you might share with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For, for those that are in the midst of it, like in the midst of that, maybe it's just a really dark season. The grief is heavy. You can't even figure out how to even pray. I would say first, like you were just mentioning with the marriage piece, give yourself grace, Mm -hmm. give yourself grace that, um, you don't have to have the right words to pray to God. Um, you don't even have to have any words. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I, I remember there were times I felt like I just didn't have any words to pray. I was just crying mm-hmm. and crying to the Lord. And I knew that the Holy Spirit on on my behalf was going to the Lord. And so um, that's a beautiful comfort to know Like we don't have to have it figured out and together to come to the Lord. He mm-hmm. He accepts us as we are. Um, so that would be my first piece. Give yourself grace and and allow the Holy Spirit, um, trust in the Holy Spirit as your advocate. And then two, I would say, don't give up on turning to truth. Um, I think in, in the, in the season where my grief was really fresh, it felt really hard to show up to church, to show up to community group to read my Bible, even to pray like those, everything in life felt hard. And it included those things that were the spiritual disciplines that I knew were important for me to continue to invest in. So in whatever dose you can, like continue to press into those things because they matter and they will be a part of the healing process Mm. of moving forward out of your grief. Um, I remember, you know, showing up to community group shortly after we lost Ezra and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to have to talk about it. I didn't want, you know, people to be looking at me and like, Oh, how are you doing? You know, just that whole thing. And I went anyways and my, my you know, we, my community group just continued, they were very supportive and caring, but also Like they continued to study the Bible and I, and that was what I needed. Like we just dove into God's word together. We looked at the promises. We applied that to our lives. And that was such an encouraging and refreshing moment that I didn't expect. And I wouldn't have received had I not said like, okay, like I'm just going to show up anyways. So the Lord will show up in those moments. And so keep pressing into him, keep pressing into, um, to scripture, to prayer, to church and community, and and the Lord is there. So that would be my encouragement for for those that are in the midst of that grief.
1: And then, in a similar vein, to wrap up with, for anybody who's listening right now who might have a loved one who is walking through grief, what encouragement would you have for them um, as as they walk with somebody who is going through this season that we've been talking about?
0: Yeah. You know, there were so many ways that people tried to show up and show us support. And sometimes they were in ways where like, oh, that wasn't, didn't feel helpful. (laughs) And then other ways that were so meaningful. And so I think I love this question because I get asked that often Mm. because people know that we've walked through some stuff. And I always say, like, first of all, just have your posture to be that you're going to lean in. Like you're going to be present. You're going to listen. You're going to have your presence felt. They're going to know that you love them. Mm. Like that, I think, is the most important thing. And then the second thing that I usually say is ask them how they would feel most loved or ask them, what's what's the thing I can do to serve you best? And, and a lot of times people won't have anything to say. They're, they're going to say, you know, oh, I don't know. You don't need to do anything or whatever it is. Um, but you give them the opportunity that if they do have something in mind, they have permission to ask for it. And so, you know, ask them how they want to be cared for, and if they don't have any specifics, then go forward with what, whatever things you can think of. Whether it's you know bringing them meals or helping take care of the kids if they have kids, or um uh, taking off some other kind of responsibility or burden they might have on their schedule so that they just have more space to um to not have to be doing things and showing up for things so um those are the things that you just say is hmm. be committed to loving them and pressing in and be present and then ask them how can i love you well in this season
1: Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, really appreciate getting to talk through the book, Beyond Our Control. And uh, I, I just thank you for the yeah. ministry that you and Michael are doing in talking about this. So thanks for being here. Well,
0: thanks so much, Jason. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you having me.
1: Now, let's look at some next steps out of this episode. First, make sure to check out the book, Beyond Our Control. You can find the link in the show notes below. Second, if you are walking through a season of grief, ask yourself, what is this grief an indicator of? And what is it pointing me to? Who can you turn to? What shoulder can you lean on or cry on right now? It's important to reach out to others and reach out to God. Third, If somebody you love is walking through grief right now, do what Lauren said. Lean in and love, and make yourself available. I want to thank my guest, Lauren McAfee, for today's conversation. My name is Jason Whelan, and this has been Doable Discipleship. We will be back with you again next week.
2: to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.